Hey Rebel Parents, Ryan Dobson here. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Laura and I and the kids are having a great little vacation here and we have a good program today. How, Rebel Parents, answer me. How do we talk to our gay friends and family members without sticking our feet down our throats? I don't know. I do it on accident, I don't mean to. I love my friends that are identify gay. I love my family members that identify gay. I wanna to talk to you, I wanna have relationship with you, I wanna have community with you. I just don't know what I'm doing and it makes it awkward. So, we have a great guest on today. His name is Christopher Yuan. He is a best-selling author of Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, he has his PhD from Moody. He's a professor. He also has a brand new book out called Giving a Voice to the Voiceless, a qualitative study of reducing marginalization of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and same-sex attracted students at Christian colleges and universities. What better person to talk about? How do we reach out to our gay friends without offending them, still believing what we believe? Without any further ado, here is the amazing, the fantastic, the wonderful, Christopher Yuong. Christopher, thanks for joining us today. And uh, more importantly, thank you for being vulnerable. You've told your story many, many times, and I know that can be difficult, but it is also very healing to a lot of people. And this is a volatile topic, and we're going to walk a tightrope today, but I know we have the exact perfect guest to be on, and that's you. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Ryan, for having me on. Definitely. Christopher, you know, with the recent election, there's so much fear and hate and anxiety and uncertainty and stress going on with groups in America that feel marginalized, whether it's by race or religion or gender or sexual orientation. There is a great outcry uh, amongst those that feel marginalized or are marginalized or feel like they're in the minority and especially in the church, the gay community or the LBGT community is feeling marginalized. And you come from a background that identifies as gay, and you're able to speak to this more clearly. Uh, and that's really why we have you on today. We want to talk about the LBGT community. How do we stand up for what we believe in or hold fast to our beliefs and yet make pe people feel less marginalized. So could you tell a little bit of your story and then let's jump into the conversation of how do we love our friends? How do we love our coworkers? How do we love the people in our church and in our communities next to us? Sure. You know, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so maybe unlike some of your listeners, I, I didn't have own a Bible. We didn't go to church, so I'm probably a lot like the neighbors, mm. your, our neighbors, and people who don't know Christ, and people who hold to a completely different worldview. Uh, my, my, from a young age, I, I wrestled with these thoughts. The first time I remember about it was when I was exposed to pornography at nine years old, at, at a good friend's house, mm. at a trusted family friend's house, found it you know, underneath the, the sink. And, and, you know, my parents, it was my, my father's best friend, and they, they had no idea. So that was the first time that I remember. It wasn't a cause, but probably more, more as a catalyst. But I kept those feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. In my oh, early wow. 20s, that's when I finally came out, which is a little bit later than normal, mm -hmm. than, than today. And I came out of the closet. I decided I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry in Louisville, Kentucky. I 
went home after a year of dental school, and I, I decided to come out to my parents, and I told them, I am gay. And, you know, it was actually my declaration. I'm like, this is who I am. you got to accept it. My mom and dad, they weren't Christian, and my mom thought she could give me an ultimatum, and she said, you've got to either choose the family or choose that. She couldn't even, she couldn't even say it. She couldn't even say well, gay. Well, this wasn't a choice. Wow. She could, I mean, you know, and, and, and maybe in her mind she didn't even know it. I mean, she didn't yeah. know what the word was either. Sure. Or So she just, she just that. When you come from a very traditional <laughs> background, um, yeah. are you first-generation American? Very first generation. So my parents mm-hmm. came from China uh, through Taiwan, came here to the to U.S. for graduate school. So I'm first-generation here. And though we didn't know God, very Chinese were very family oriented, mm-hmm. and so it was all about the family, and family was everything, almost a God in a sense. And, and I would say, in many cases, it is a God uh, for many Asians, especially Asian mothers. Well, for me, this wasn't a choice. I left home, devastated my mom, mm-hmm. and my. Unfortunately, there's some backstory with my parents and their marriage. They they were had their everything was kind of falling apart after years of living as non-Christians. Their marriage was a wreck, so they were about to get a divorce. So my mom was literally at the end of a rope, and she was actually going to end her life. She had already decided this is it. No more reason to live, family falling apart, marriage falling apart. But amazingly, this is what's so just so wonderful about how God works, is that through the deepest, darkest moment, God entered into her into her world. Wow. And and through a little pamphlet that she got on homosexuality, it shared with the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. Wow. I mean, he was totally 180, turn around. My father, within a few months, becomes a Christian. Well, I kept going in the opposite direction. Mm, yeah. I was in dental school, but I also was on the weekends going out and partying. And, and and going out to the clubs, unfortunately began doing drugs. And, you know, Ryan and Laura, I need to be clear that not all gays and lesbians do drugs. Some do, <laughs> some don't, you know. But, yeah. you know, just, just some people who aren't in the gay community, totally. many right. non-Christians, they go out and party, do drugs, and that's just what they do. Yeah. And many so don't. And many, yeah. Right. Yeah, we can't stereotype everyone, but unfortunately that is part of my story, and I want to tell my whole story, but I also want to tell people that if you encounter the living Jesus Christ, truly encounter him, he will impact every aspect of your life. So I began experimenting with drugs. I unfortunately began selling drugs while I was a dental student, and eventually I got expelled from dental school. And weren't you right about to graduate? I mean, you were way at the end of your schooling. I was three months. Three months? Three months before I was about to graduate, yeah. So I moved to Atlanta, further away, you know, from Chicago, where we're from, into the South, and and I kept doing how, how, what I knew how to do best, and that was sell drugs. My parents had no clue. They kept reaching out to me. I wanted nothing to do with. It. They even came. They even came to visit me one time in Atlanta, and before my and I told them to get out. I had enough. Mm. They weren't preaching at me, you know. Oftentimes, what you know, parents feel like they have to do. I have to have to remind my kids what what I what we believe and right. remind my kids what God's truth is, and my parents didn't do any of that. Wow. But just the fact that their lives radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. I told them to get out. My dad, before he left, gave me his very first Bible, and they walked out. And, I, and as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible, and I threw it in the trash. Hmm. That's how much I hated God. Wow. I wanted nothing to do with their religion. And it was so obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. My parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness, not to get consumed with my downward spiral, but they focused upon the promises of God. 
along with over 100 prayer words. My mom began to pray a bold prayer, God, do whatever, mm. whatever it takes. And that's a bold prayer for a mother, actually a Chinese mother to make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. She was desperate. Yeah. Desperate. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years. Even fasted 39 days on my behalf. Wow. You, you know the movie War Room, yeah. and the the novelization of that movie War Room, written by Chris Faby, was actually dedicated to my mom. Oh. You know, we, you just, she would be relentless, yeah. and. Well, that's even God, how she found you know, the Lord. She, she got a pamphlet on homosexuality that had the gospel in it. She was seeking you and found the Lord. Yes. You know, your dad was exactly. seeking you, and they both found the Lord. That's a beautiful, beautiful example of parenting. Hmm. Exactly. You know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk to parents who are so racked with guilt about about their gay son or daughter, hmm. and, and, and unfortunately the culture, and sometimes I think the church places more more guilt and blame upon them that somehow, you know, oh, father wasn't there long enough and they were absent, or maybe the mother, you know, and, and I do believe that that has an effect on a child, but that's not the cause. And, you know, you know, perfect parenting does not, does not uh, guarantee perfect children. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I, I tell people that the job of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children, but the job of a Christian parent is to be godly parents. There's a big difference. The pressure is, is not on us to produce perfect or godly children. It's upon us to be godly parents, and the rest is up to God. And so my parents, you know, they just cried out to God. They knew that, that it was only God who could change a heart. They were only responsible for their own lives, and, and that's still a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. They cried out to God, and God did answer that prayer. It came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement oh. agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd oh, no. dogs. So I was caught red-handed, yeah. and I, I, they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons what? of marijuana. Oh, no. Which I think in Colorado is legal, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> not that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to spread it out over so a few days, I, but it's something like that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I, I mean, you had to be facing serious, serious jail time, though, with that much. I mean, oh, you I was facing 10 years to life. Yeah. And in federal prison, not state right, prison, but right, federal right. prison. That's a huge, huge charge. Yeah. And, and, and people always ask, how could you get that much in, in, in your apartment? Well, the reality is, in the federal system, they make everything yep. equivalent to marijuana. Oh. So I didn't have barely any marijuana. It was all crystal methamphetamine, which by weight is, is much more, uh, you know, stronger uh, of a sentence than than marijuana so i found myself in jail christopher i gotta ask have you i'm I'm sure you've spoken to your mom about this but your mom is praying to the lord lord anything lord whatever it takes lord do whatever it takes i want to spend eternity with my son at any point when you were arrested and going to jail or prison where did she have any moment going oh wait i mean Oh, Lord, I, I wanted to come back. I just don't want to come back like this. You know, was there ever a moment of hesitation where she went, oh, no, wait, I've made a mistake? You know, that's the, that's the thing. And, and you know, because first of all, you know, people don't realize, I mean, how much I put my mother through. So, I mean, it was it was just, it was hell for my mom. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so she was just desperate. And I think just in, in your desperation, it requires desperate measures. Yeah. So she knew that it wasn't going to be just something small. You know, my mom even prayed, you know, God, if it even takes, 
you know, him being on his deathbed, that he's finally at his rock bottom, you know, yeah. whatever. She really did completely give it up. And I think that's very, very, very hard mm-hmm. for mothers, mm-hmm. very, very hard for parents. I, I would say especially for mothers. But um, we can't, as my mother often talks, we can't put our son or daughter on the altar as Abraham did with Isaac and then take our daughter and son back off the altar. we got to leave our, our mm-hmm. child on that altar and allow God to provide the lamb that he did and, and provide mm-hmm. the way out. So, you know, my, I, I called, so this is, this is so telling of what happened. I, I called home, and I didn't want to call home. Yeah. That was, you know, we all get a phone call. <laughs> and my, I was just expecting an earful from my mom. Right. You know, this, what did you do? You deserve to be where you are, but whatever. I it told is. you I so. Yeah, I told you so. And my mother's first words were, are you okay? Mm. No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love. I love grace. your mom. Yeah. Oh, she's the best, too. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah. We love your mom. You know, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I began, you know, it was those words that 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 began to draw me to, him, to, my, to himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a few days later, that I was walking around the cell block, passed by a garbage can, and... I was thinking this, you know, I just, you know, just destroyed my life. Yeah. Passed by a garbage can, I thought, this is my life. This totally is my life. Trash. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad's got two doctorates. I was three months away from getting my own doctorate, and here I am in jail mm. among common criminals. So I passed by... I was about to pass by that garbage can, and there was something on top of the trash that caught my eye. I went back, bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. Mm. Took it back to my cell. It was in the jailhouse gar- garbage. It. it was in the jailhouse garbage wow. on top of all the filthy trash. Someone had just placed it there, so it wasn't, I didn't even have to dig. I mean, it was, and it was even a brand new one. What? Took it back to my cell, and I began reading it. I opened that book, and that night I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. But, you know, I didn't think this is the Word of God. I wasn't even thinking, you know, here's some answer to my problem. Actually, I just thought, I've got tons of time on my hands, (laughs) and i got to pass it somehow. But, you know, the reality is words on the pages of our book, uh, the Bible, they're not just ink on paper, but... As God's Word tells us, they are the very breath of God. And they began to convict me, and they began to point out my sin. And, you know, I, I realized I rebelled not, against, not just against my government, not just against my parents, but against a holy God. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, this is not good news. People say this is good news. Well, this wasn't good news for me. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, how, how worse could, this, could things get? Well, it got worse. Mm. I was called to the nurse's office two weeks later, and the nurse gave me news that I was HIV positive. Oh. So that was the deepest, darkest moment. I went back to my cell, uh, cell block, and um, Christopher, what year was this? Just, this was nineteen, the end of nineteen ninety-eight. Actually, right around Christmas. Actually, this is mm. right around this time, nineteen ninety-eight. Wow. So I. Uh, well, there was one night I was laying in my bed. I mean, just 
it's like, how worse could things get? I, I was just sentenced. You know, I, I was actually kind of thinking, well, I'm going to get out of this. I'm, this is my first offense. The judge is just going to give me some, you know, probation or something. And I got six six years, which is actually better than 10 years to life. Yeah. But, but it's still I, I six was years. Devastated. Yeah. It's still six years. I mean, you know, and I was 28 years old. So six years, I'm thinking that's that's a lifetime. Yeah. You know? right. I mean, that's right. what you think when you're that young. Mm. And uh, I was like, what what in the world? Um, lay in my bed, I looked up at the metal bunk above me, and someone had scribbled something, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. What? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You know, and it could have been any verse in the Bible, but God knew that those were the very words that I needed to hear penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me, tell me, Christopher Yuan, me, 1998, that regardless of who I was, what I had done in my past, he still had a plan for me. Mm. I don't know where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me a faith to get through that next day and the next and the next. So my journey after that was pretty gradual. I mean, I realized that, you know, I had put my identity in the wrong thing. You know, I am gay. This is who I am, not what I feel, not what I do. This is not what are my my desires, nor what, even my strong attractions for another person or or the or the same sex. This is who I am, and I realized that as I read through God's Word, that I had put my identity in wrong things. Sexuality is not who I am; it's what I experience, but it's still not who I am. And I realized that my identity has to be in God Himself. I'm an image bearer of God. My identity needs to be in Jesus mm. Christ alone. Yeah. And that, and I and I knew that, you know, God says, "Be holy, for I am holy." You know, for the longest time, I had put my identity. Uh, you know, I had thought that as a Christian, you had to become straight, you had to be heterosexual, right? I mean, that's what, you know, heterosexuality is normal. Heterosexuality is God's standard for humanity. But I realized that, you know, even if I had heterosexual feelings, and even if they were exclusive heterosexual feelings, as a man of God, I would still need to resist lust. I would still need to flee temptation. Mm -hmm. I would still need to put to death my sin nature every day. So heterosexuality is not the goal. God doesn't say, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. But neither did he say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. God said, be holy, for I am holy. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of any sin struggle is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm still tempted or not, because we all are tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. Uh, I need to focus upon what I do with those temptations. So change isn't the absence of temptations, but change is the ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Mm. And I think that was a transformation. That wasn't day and night. It took me about a year of, you know, in prison to come to that recognition that actually, you know, I'm reading through... Dietrich Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship, mm. and we cannot just come to a cheap grace. Yeah. Following, you know, I mean, yes, justification is nothing on it. I mean, God, God gives that to us freely. He's the one that woos us, but we can't just say, okay, I'm saved, and then that that's it. No, I mean, this grace is costly, first of all, from the front end, in that God gave his only begotten son, but on the back end, in that, that now that we're a follower of Christ, we will be led into good works. We will automatically, the the result of that, the good fruit of that, is holy living. 
and and that's costly. It's 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 a it's a it's costly to follow Jesus. Mm. It's costly to to leave your nets behind. It's it's costly to pick up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow Him. But that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I I often tell people following Jesus should cost us everything, mm. and if it hasn't, maybe we're following the wrong Jesus. Wow. Yeah, we agree. We do. It's a it is definitely costly. I mean. The long story short, since then, you've gotten out of prison, you went to Moody, you've got your PhD, yeah. you're a professor. Now, I mean, this is, it is it is really an amazing transformation, but it's why it gives you license and it gives you expertise into speaking into this issue of marginalization, of ostracizing people, um, you know, for how they identify things like that. When did you start noticing the gay community felt ostracized, it felt marginalized, um, at what point did you think, you know what, we really ought to be doing something a little bit different, or we should be doing what we're doing a little bit better? Well, you know, I mean, it definitely was, even before I became a Christian, I, I, I wasn't a believer, and I had these feelings from, from, from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that I don't believe that I was born that way, but I do believe I'm a born sinner, I'm born with a sin nature, and that sin nature expresses itself differently at different times, and so you know, I, I I had these experiences of attraction for the same sex, and I was petrified to tell anyone about it. I wasn't going to tell my parents, and though I wasn't a Christian, I I felt uh, um, condemnation sure. from Christians, mm-hmm. and and some of that is through media and the way the media might portray us. But but you know, as much as we can point the finger at media, it's still a reality. Yeah. It, it is still a phenomenon that we can't get past. It's, it, that, that is how we're perceived, sure. and we could say, well, that perception isn't true, and, and I, I do agree. Those perceptions aren't true of the way that Christians are characterized, at least, at least myself. I, I, I might look at other people who might say they're Christian, and they certainly don't. I, I would not say there's fruit in their life, but they claim to be Christian, and, and that could be true, that they do express hatred toward the gay community, but but the people that I know who are following Christ and dying to self daily, that isn't true, but perception is people's reality. Sure, sure. So as a young age, that's when I realized that, that I, there, there is stigma. Uh, we can't ignore that, and, and there is even stigma in the Church, even, even strong Bible-believing evangelical churches because this is so volatile, and maybe we don't want to, uh, you know, open up a can of worms, or we don't, um, you know, want to hurt people's feelings, we we don't say much about it. And when we do, it might be just more of a political conversation and little about mm-hmm. a pastoral conversation. And that that the result of that is that it, it gives the impression that this is something that we can't talk about. Hmm. How would you encourage, say, like moms listening, how would you encourage people just to even start to bridge that gap? You know, I, I think, first of all, we need to, we need to talk more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think as <laughs> mothers and fathers, we need to talk. You know, um, my best friend, uh, we roomed together at Moody, uh, and I was his best man at his wedding, He's got a family and three kids. Oldest is nine. Uh, second is, I think, seven. And then youngest is uh, maybe six or four or five. 
anyway, uh, this good friend of mine um, just had this conversation with his kids, nine and seven, which was great. Uh, you know, he just a few months ago and, and talking about pornography and talking about sex and sexuality, you know, just at, at age appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And he just he just told me uh, just this week, he said his wife was with the kids, and they were just at the library. And she was going to, you know, going to look for a book uh, on her own, and the kids were doing their thing in the library, you know, in the kids' section. And then the two boys came to her, and she could see on their face something was, you know, not right. Mm-hmm. And the, the the oldest boy told the mom, said, Mom, uh, Joey or whoever, you know, one of his classmates who happened to be at the library as well, just showed me a bad picture on on, on the computer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was pornography yep. at the library, of course, because libraries they don't they don't block anything, which I think is just negligent. I, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 horrible. Yeah. I mean, I almost think it can be even criminal in my mind. I, think it's I mean, criminal. it's, it's horrible. That yeah. it, it's awful. It's awful. You know, it, in in the in the light of autonomy and freedom and of uh, freedom of speech, and we don't want to censor anything. Let's expose our kids to pornography. I mean, even pedophilia. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that maybe they, they they might draw the line there because they're really moral. They draw the line of pedophilia, but uh, I mean, it's awful. And and but but I'm so glad that you know my best friend he had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And to think, uh, what what often um, I. I, I sometimes I, I want to grab parents and, and and shake them a bit and say, no, the question is not when is it too soon to c- talk to my kids about sex and sexuality. The question now more than ever mm. is when is it too late? Oh, yeah. When is it too late? Huh. Kids, are, I mean, kindergarten, there's already curriculum that parents don't need to even know about that's in there. And even a teacher can't even say, oh, you know, we all have two mommies, or, you know, someone can have two mommies and daddies. That's not part of the curriculum. That's just a comment that, that parents don't know about. So wouldn't we want our kids to first hear about sex at home? Yeah. Okay. Not in the public school, yeah. not uh, from television, not in the library on on those computers, not on the playground, not in the locker room, but at home. But r- today, kids, even ourselves, I mean, if we think, when was the first time we heard about it? You know, right. it, most likely, for most, it, it wasn't. I mean, you know, your your dad probably had those talks, but, I mean, he's experienced on that. Yeah, but yeah. most parents, I think, w- did not. He's and the exception, that for is sure. really tragic. Yep, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Christopher. Um, so having conversations is important. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Here, here's one that I'm I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I was watching the Science Channel on uh, our Apple TV the other day. We were watching how to build everything, and they were building a Mars rover. So it's as sciencey as you can possibly get. And I don't know if that's because <laughs> it's on Apple TV or whatever it was, but there's two commercials that played back to back every commercial break. I don't remember one of them. The other one was L'Oreal, so lashy eyelash. Is that mascara, hon? Yeah. Yeah, mascara. And the mm-hmm. commercial starts with a late teen, early 20 boy with uh, full uh, makeup and, you know, over made up. You know, yeah. it was done on purpose. It was it was very, not gaudy. It was just overly done makeup and his hair was colored mm-hmm. and, you know, he's a little flamboyant mm-hmm. and he's talking about eyelash stuff. And then every we, other person. We would call that. 
like we would call that drag makeup. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's dra- very very pronounced. Yeah. So drag makeup is is different than a transgender person crossing. You know, very more natural. So anyway. Oh yeah, no, for so sure. This is definitely drag makeup sure. over transgender. Because I, I know transgender people. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. More natural and and oftentimes not even a lot of makeup. Anyway. So my son yeah. is ten. He he yeah. he goes, Daddy, was that a boy dressed like a girl? And I go, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could just see the wheels turning. It made no sense to him. And I'm not worried about that. And we had a good conversation about it. I think where I worry is kids are kids. You know, Lucy got a present a few months ago from somebody. And she looked at it and she goes, oh, I already have this one. I mean, just straight blurted it out. And as a parent, you go, oh, no, say thank you. Be thankful no matter if you have, you know, all those types (laughs) of things. And then it jumped to what do I do? when I'm with other families that have kids that identify differently than mine and they just blurt stuff out, you know, where we, how do we have that conversation where I can go, listen, you know, he's, you know, she's four or, you know, he's 10, right? Like this is not an offensive thing. They're just asking questions. I love you. Whether we agree or disagree with decisions, how do we have conversations? I feel like I'm stepping on landmines. I feel like I'm walking on cracked eggs. I think so many people feel that way. It's like, listen, I love you. I don't know how to love you right now, but I really do. And I want you to know that I love you. Whether I agree with you or not, I love you. I don't know what to say. I feel awkward. I got my kids here. I'm trying to raise kids and this is confusing. How do you even breach that subject? I mean, I really do want to know. I want to jump in. I want to get in. you know, give us a couple of minutes of this. We're going to have to end the program, but let's do the bonus episode to really kind of dig in. What are the words we use? How do we say, I know you feel marginalized and I know, I mean, listen, I'm Ryan Dobson. How much more on the right-wing conservative, you know, side could people perceive me? Clearly people perceive me as hateful at times and I'm, I'm tired of it. I want to, you know, handle those differently. So how do I jump into that conversation? I'll bet you want to hear how he answers that question. I know you do, but we ran out of time. So go to our website, rebelparenting.org. Subscribe to the podcast. You can hear that and more every single week from our expert guests. This week, it's Christopher Yuan. Don't miss it, rebelparenting.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. We will see you next week. God bless.